0: Uh, Tonight's Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, and you can find it on page 2 of the Church Bible. The fall of man. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, I, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid and he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from the man said the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it then the Lord God said to the woman what is this you have done the woman said the servant deceived me and I ate
1: Okay, the second reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, and that's on page 798. So Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
2: Nice, simple passage, isn't it? you follow the logic and the flow of it? Does so, so um, someone to preach the sermon tonight? Any volunteers to preach on Romans 5, 12 to 21? Going once, going twice. Okay, I'll preach then. Um, let's pray. It's a really difficult part of God's Word. I labored over it. I've struggled with it. Uh, but it is actually just such a, a liberating... And beautiful truth that we're going to learn about tonight, we're going to learn all all about the, the, the doctrine of grace and how much God's undeserved favor has been lavished on us in Christ. And that's what we need to hear. We need to hear how good it is to be forgiven and redeemed and restored and to walk away here covered with grace. So let me pray and then we'll turn to the word. Lord God, you are worthy of all our praise. Lord, every day you do pour out your grace abundantly. Thank you for the people in this this room tonight. Thank you that you know them all individually, that you care for them, that you love them. And thank you now that we have the privilege of sitting under the scriptures and to hear you speak to us. And so I do plead with you, Lord, please speak through me tonight and by your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, tonight I want to look at events that changed our world. Life-changing events that cha- just changed history. So, so what events are you thinking about? What events have changed our world for all time? Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, September 11. a.m. where American Airlines Flight 11 flew into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. That event has changed our our world that we live in. Uh, One man, one act of terrorism, it's changed the way that we live in 2011. Another event that changed the world was uh, the event in June 1914 where Franz Ferdinand was shot. If you know your history, that's when World War I started. That one event has changed our world forever. Uh, you could think of uh, Alexander Graham Bell h- as he invented the telephone. That's changed our lives, does not it, the telephone? Uh, the internet, the flight, electricity, penicillin. Uh, all these amazing uh, people who have invented these amazing things that have radically changed the world that we live in. It was Winston Churchill who said, uh, so many of us owe so much to so few. What he's saying is that there's just a few people who have done extraordinary things uh, that we owe so much to. And, And God in his word would say, yeah, that is true. We do owe so much to all these different people, but actually, if you were to... To, to filter history down into a timeline. Uh, you, could, you could map out the whole of history and just have two events on your timeline. Just two events and two people. One's name is Adam, the second's name is, is Christ. And those two men, and by their actions, have changed our world forever. Adam and his sin, Christ and the cross, Adam and his sin that brings death, and Christ and his cross that brings grace and life. And they have changed our world for all eternity. And the question I want to ask you straight up tonight is this. It's the most important question I'm going to ask you tonight. Are you in Adam, or are you in Christ? What I mean by that is, is are you still in Adam? Are are you still under sin? Are you still facing death? Are, Are you still living life, ignoring the cross, Still living under that rain, realm of sin and death? Or have you seen the, the beauty of, of what Christ did for you at Calvary 2,000 years ago? See, everyone in this room is either in Adam or they're in Christ. There's no other alternative. I, I want you to leave here tonight just being assured and confident of who you're living under. Are you under Adam or under Christ? Now let's look at uh, Adam first. See, in Adam, death reigns. That's what Paul is saying here. The effect of that one man, Adam, and what he did, it is totally massive. Look at verse 12. See if you can see the, the flow or the logic. Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all Sinned. It's interesting, Paul starts a sentence in verse 12 that he doesn't get around to completing because it's just too complex. What he's saying is, sin entered, and so death entered, and so death came to all of us because we all sin. But that's the flow, that's the logic. Through that one man Adam, sin has gained entrance into our human race. It's the, the event that we read about in Genesis 3, we call it the fall. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden, beautiful relationship with God, walking with God, intimate with God, peace with God, enjoying God's presence, enjoying God's blessings, enjoying eternal life. And God has said, you know, you're free to eat of whatever you want in this garden, just that one tree that you can't eat from. But Adam doubted God and he disobeyed God and he thought, no, I'll do what I want. And so sin entered the world. That one action and sin entered the world. Paul is not addressing the origins of evil. He's not addressing where sin comes from. He's talking about how sin has invaded our world. Sin has entered our world through that one man, Adam. And because of that, verse 12, death has entered. Death through sin. And you see that back in Genesis 3. Adam is banished from the garden, he's cut off from the tree of life, he doesn't enjoy that intimacy with God again, and he does die physically. And according to Paul, through that one action, verse 12, death comes to all people, that's you and me, because we all sin. Let me just clarify something, sin, sin is not law-breaking, sin is not just doing wrong things. That's the argument he gives in verses 13 and 14. He says, before the law was given, sin was in the world. Before God spoke to Moses, the the, the ten words, before the law was given, sin was still in in the world. It wasn't as though the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were sinless. It wasn't as though the people of the flood were sinless. It wasn't as though before the law was given that people never got jealous or never got angry. They didn't murder. Of course they did. How did you know that sin was in the world before the law? Well, Paul tells you in verse 14. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who didn't sin by breaking a command. He's saying people still died before the law and so sin must have been in the world because death is a consequence of sin. And so what does the law do? Verse 13. Uh, the law, sin is not taken into account when there is no law, or, or literally sin is not explicitly identified if there is no law. That's all the law does. The law just gives a name to your sin. Before the law was given, you would just think, ah, oh, I'm, just, I'm just admiring uh, the house that they've got, or I'm just admiring all the money they've got, and the law comes in and says, no, that's called coveting. You're actually coveting. You see, the Lord just puts a name to the things that we naturally do because we don't want to obey God. See, we're all sinners. I say again, we are all sinners. Now, what gives me the right to stand in front of you a bunch of people, some of whom I've never ever met before, and call you a sinner? I'll tell you what gives me the right. Because according to, to Paul, because of the action of Adam, every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived is a sinner. It's not just that we we imitate Adam. Uh, that's what a man called Pelagius tried to argue. It's the idea that we are all like Adam. I mean, Adam was just the first sinner, he was just a, a bad example. Like sin is just learned behavior. Let me tell you, you don't need to teach a, a child to be selfish or to get angry. They just do it naturally. They don't need to copy Adam. What this is saying is that because of the sin of Adam, sin has infected our world. It's like a, a dropper of dye and colored water that just colors the whole of the, of the, the glass of water. It's like a, a virus in your bloodstream. Everyone's got it. I hope you understand that. It's not just a few people do a few things wrong occasionally. We are born sinners. It's inherent in us. It's called original sin. It's not the, uh, the kind of thing that you, you tell new parents, is it? Oh, what a beautiful little sinner you've just given birth to. <laughs> We just had a little baby. He's three months old. His name's Nathaniel. He's a sinner. He's a sinner. Naturally. He's born sinful. We're infected by Adam's sin. and More than that, we're actually included in Adam. Adam is like our head or our representative. That's really hard to grasp, isn't it? It's a bit like, this is a weak example, but it's the best we've come up with. It's a bit like when, when, when Michael Clarke, wins the toss, and decides to bat. Okay? I'm being Aussie here. Michael Clarke wins the toss, he decides to bat. Now, the rest of the Australian cricket team are now batters. Even when they're sitting in the clubhouse and they're not on the field batting, they are still batters, because he's made the decision, and they're under him. Uh, that's the kind of thing he's saying. Like We actually bear the consequences of the decision that Adam made. Made, Because we're included in his sin. Now, why does this matter? Why am I laboring this? 200,000 babies have been born in the last 24 hours. And every single one of them belong to Adam. Every single one of them belong to Adam on his team. Why does that matter? Because of the consequences. Because of death. Verse 12. Death came through sin, uh, verse 12. Death came to all men, uh, verse 14. Death reigned, verse 15. If the many died by the trespass of the one man, uh, verse 17. If by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man. That's why it matters. It's what God warned back in Genesis two if you eat of that fruit, you will die. And that's what happened. And that's reality for us. Death is reigning over our world. It's that enemy that stalks us, it hovers over us, and it's the greater known, isn't it? When will I die? Where will I die? How will I die? Death is reigning because of Adam, because of our sin. On Thursday this week, Rach, Sam, and Nathaniel and I went to Macquarie Park Cemetery. Uh, it was the anniversary of late husband's death, and so we went to visit his grave. And because I was preaching on this passage, I just saw that cemetery in a whole new light. I don't know if I've ever been there. There are just rows after rows after rows of graves and tombstones, and as far as the eye can see, just uh, just full of dead people. And because I was preaching on this passage, I, I walked around and I, I just looked at names on these tombstones, and I just started to cry. I just started to cry. Because if they're not in Christ, if they were not in Christ when they died, uh, the consequences are terrible. You see, this truth that in Adam, we're all under sin, and death is reigning and is holding over us, hovering over us. It radically changes the way that we see people, it changes the way that you see your world. you ever seen the film Dead Man Walking with Sean Penn and Susan Sarandon? A- and that man who is, he knows he's about to die, and they, they, they cry, Dead Man Walking. And just to see that the grief and the pain in his family, knowing he's about to die, and they are weeping. And friends, that is the way we've got to view our world, through that lens saying, dead man walking. If they're not in Christ, they might be the most lovely, the kindest, the most caring people that you know, but because of sin, death is hovering over them. Go to the gym and see dead men walking. Go to the shops and see dead people walking. Go to the park and see dead people walking. Just try it. I spent an hour in a coffee shop this week doing that. Just doing nothing. Just watching people. Through that lens, dead people walking. The lady with her two kids. The, the businessman having their meeting. The, the couple from Greenway that walked past. If they're not in Christ, they're dead people walking. I stood outside church this morning at 7.30am. about to preach at 8am. And there were just hordes of people, thousands of people walking past to do the marathon or the half marathon or the, the fun run, whatever they're doing, just crowds of them. I just thought, they're dead people walking without Christ. And you can't understand this truth without your, without your heart breaking, surely. Surely your heart is breaking for people without Christ. Nothing will stir your heart for mission more than understanding the dire situation of people who are still in Adam and are yet to know Christ. In Adam, death reigns. But this passage is not about Adam, it's about Christ. It's not about Adam and his sin, it's about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus because the effect of Adam was massive. But the effect of Jesus is far greater. What Christ did for us is far, far greater than what Adam did. His obedience outweighed Adam's disobedience. See, according to verse 14, Adam was a pattern or a type of the one to come. What he's saying there is that one man has affected the whole of humanity. That's the type, that's the pattern. But that's where the similarity stops. I mean, how can you compare the, the Lord of glory to a man of shame? How can you compare the, the Savior of the world to a sinner? So this is the blessings for you and I tonight if we're in Christ. Because in Christ, grace reigns. Uh, that's the truth I want you to walk out with tonight. In Christ, grace reigns. If you're trusting Jesus, you shift from the reign of Adam to the reign of Christ. And as Paul puts it, it is God's, listen carefully, superabundant grace. That's the word he uses, superabundant grace. You see in verse 17, it's a beautiful verse. If by the trespass of that one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's superabundant provision of grace and the gift of being declared righteous, how much more will we reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Do you spot the shock in that verse? You expect him to say, in Adam, death reigns, in Christ, life reigns. He doesn't say that. He says, in Adam, death reigns, but in Christ, we reign in life. We are reigning in because of Christ, because of the grace that's been lavished on us, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are reigning right now for all eternity, and that is the power of grace in your life and my life. There's no comparison. Verse 15, the, great, the gift is not like the trespass. Adam disobeyed, but Christ, he was totally obedient. It's an undeserved gift. Selfless sacrifice. For if, verse 15, the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's superabundant grace, undeserved grace, and all the gifts that come from that, you know the gift of being righteous and being acquitted and being redeemed and being forgiven, how much more did God's grace come overflow to the many? The best way I could describe this is, is, again, it's not a great illustration. Uh, Imagine that um, the whole of Sydney is just covered in dominoes. And you've got one domino for every man, woman, boy or girl that's ever lived. And it starts on a harbour bridge with the first man, the first domino, his name is Adam. And as he sins, that domino topples. And then you just get that ripple effect. Billions and billions of dominoes all fall flat down. That's it. The, the, the effect of that one man's sin is is huge and it's massive. Now imagine this. There's one domino that becomes upright. That stands upright. And because of that one domino upright, suddenly, supernaturally, magnificently, all these dominoes that have fallen down suddenly are standing upright again. That is impossible. No, it's not poss- not impossible. Because we've got a man called Jesus Christ, and he did it. That is grace, superabundant grace. Why have I used that word superabundant? Because it's sufficient to cover. The sins of the whole world. One sin all down, but superabundant grace covers the sins of billions. That's what it says in verse sixteen. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. Uh, the judgment followed one sin. Of course it did. We deserved and brought justification. Look at it again, verse sixteen. The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. What it's saying there is that God's grace at the cross is sufficient, is sufficient to cover cover those who attack the World Trade Center. They can be forgiven as well. God's grace at the cross is sufficient to cover the sins of the Bali bombers and God's grace at the cross is sufficient to cover the sins of those committed atrocities at Auschwitz and God's grace at the cross is sufficient uh, to cover my jealousy and my hatred and my greed and my selfishness and God's grace at the cross is sufficient to cover whatever you are grappling with right here, right now. It can be covered by God's grace poured out to you that one man Jesus Christ at Calvary that is amazing that is totally amazing consequently verse 18 just as a result of one man's trespass was condemnation for all men so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men he's not saying that all will be saved he's saying all could be saved Jesus' death was sufficient Now what does this mean for us if we're in Christ? Let me give you four ways the idea that grace reigns will radically transform your life. If you're in Christ and grace is reigning, number one, you no longer fear death. You no longer fear death. Death has no hold on you anymore. Uh, Yes, you might fear the pain of death. You might grieve the loss of a loved one. But if you're in Christ, you do not fear dying anymore because death doesn't reign. Grace reigns in life. I learned this lesson from two people, one very young, one very old. I learned it from a guy called Harold Puttock, uh, who died at the age of 86 in Oxford, the UK. For 15 years, he battled a, a terminal illness. But just his attitude, uh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to get a new body, and I'm going to be my saviour, and wow, it it totally transformed the way he faced his death. The second person I learned it from was our son, Sam, who is six, and last year his grandma died, and Rachel and I were were grieving and and, and crying, and he said, why are you crying? Granny loved Jesus, and so she's now with Jesus. Jesus. And she's going to be with my dad because Sam's dad died when he was young. I was like, yeah, that's right. We don't fear death. I wonder if you were told tomorrow morning that you had a terminal illness. How would you react? You'd be shocked. There might be a bit of fear of the pain. But you don't fear dying because you're under grace. And that grace has given you eternal life. The second thing is that you, you don't despair of your sin. You don't go through life weighed down by your sin anymore. The penalty's been paid at, at Calvary. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you still battle with your sin. It's still present in your life. If you're like me, you know, this week I'm battling with my. Uh, my sin of of jealousy and then I conquer that and I'm battling my sin of pride and I conquer that and I'm battling my sin of coveting and it's just this endless treadmill of these things that I'm battling with but you know what I'm not under sin because I'm in Christ and so grace is reigning not sin Jesus paid it all at Calvary and that is totally liberating God's super abundant grace has covered it all I don't fear dying, I don't despair of my sin. I actually love God's law. I'm thankful for God's law. That was a surprise for me this week. Verse 20, that the law was added so that trespass might increase. The reason that God gave his law was so that our sin might increase. Because the law just defines and displays our sin. It shows us the line that we've crossed. But where sin increased grace increased all the more isn't that what you find the more that you read God's word actually the more wretched you feel because the more you read God's word the more glorious you see how God is and the more you realize how far short you fall of his standards but then the more wretched you feel the more glorious Jesus becomes because you realize that his grace has covered that as well there's a man at Southern Night Church who said to me a couple of years ago, he said, Paul, I spent six years at the church being told every single week that I was wonderful and I could do great things for God. And I left every week feeling a, feeling a complete failure and weighed down by it. And I've been here for a year now and I basically come every week and you tell me I'm a wretched sinner. But, but God loves me and he's lavished his grace on me and I'm forgiven and I walk out here every Sunday and I just feel good because of God's grace and that's what grace does you you don't fear death you don't despair of your sin you're thankful for the law for the word of God which exposes how sinful you really are but God's superabundant grace grace does does one more thing It, it fills you with a with a compassion, a a deep compassion for the lost. Because you can't understand this passage without seeing a world in desperate need to be in Christ and not in Adam. That's what verse 12 says. In this way, death came to, to all men because all sinned. That's the reality, isn't it? A world without Christ is facing eternal death it would be it would be monstrous for us to to sit here and to sing songs like Your grace is enough more than I need i i i i i we've got it. we love it, and to see a world out there that's still in Adam and do nothing about it just just live as a Christian. thought all I need to do. Just show people that you're now in Christ. Just by the way that you live. Let God's grace just pour out of you as you show people what it really means to have shifted from Adam to Christ. Whether it's a conversation with somebody in a coffee shop, whether it's community lunch next week, whether it's made fair mark, is a conversation that you have. Just, just show people that to be in Christ is the most beautiful, most liberating thing because it's all about God's grace. Because that's what our world needs more than anything else. You see how those two events change the whole world? In Adam, death reigns. In Christ, grace reigns. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you again who are you under? Who are you in right now? Are you still in Adam? Still facing the consequence of your sin? Well, have you shifted to Christ? And you can look at the cross and say, wow, I've received, verse 17, God's abundant provision of grace. Are you crying out, thank you, Lord Jesus? Let me pray.